0: Good morning everybody. Sorry for the delay. I called in on the right number now. I've got uh I've got this call already officially in record mode. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Awesome. Amazing. Give me a bunch of shout outs right now too. Three, two, one shout out. Corinne. Elizabeth pull on the call. Amazing day. <laughs> John DePolcom, the Springs. call doing amazing and blessed. Yeah, good morning, Christopher. Colorado Springs in the morning. Springs, Jackie. Colorado. Stephanie Thornton, call. It's amazing how, with all you guys speaking completely over each other, I recognize each and every voice. <laughs> I feel like a mother cub out with her baby bears. Uh, hey, super excited about this morning's call. I got some. I got a, a sort of a hybrid call. I got two different directions I want to take this morning, but they're both completely interrelated. Do you going out and build a big base shop? And so, this morning's call is really about you building a big base shop. And there, there's really two different components to you building a big base shop. And um, one of it is, uh, oh, part of it is, it's the mindset, it's the psychology, it's where you're personally at, where your mindset is at, where, where your psychology at, where your identity is at. And I really want to speak about that first. Let me pull up my notes. You know some of you guys are surprised, but I always have, like, a tremendous amount of notes before I go into any training or conference call. Usually I have more content than I have time to cover. So for this morning's call, here's what I really wanted to talk to you guys about. We talked a few weeks ago about it, but I want to take it either a step further or a little bit different direction, a little bit different angle, but I want to talk about your identity. I want to talk about your identity and – ask you what stories, like when it comes to our identity, they say the strongest force in the human spirit is to remain consistent with one's identity. I was listening to a podcast of Ed's just recently, and I I shared it with a teammate of mine that I thought could really benefit from it. And, you know, one of the things that, that Ed suggests is that He's done a lot of things wrong in his career, in his life, in this journey of personal development and growth. But one of the things he's absolutely freaking nailed is an obsession on his identity. And and as I was listening to his podcast, it's just like a 20-minute podcast. He doesn't interview anybody. It's just one of his short sort of training podcasts, if you will. But as I'm listening to it, you know, and I think back over the 22 probably years that I've known Ed, I only met him really a couple of times when Michelle and I were dating. He was living up in Stockton for quite some bit. Uh, And then as Michelle and I got closer and got engaged, I got to know him better. But um, for as as long as I've known him, I would say that's true. He's constantly put himself in situations that he was probably uh, not as prepared for. He probably got, as they would say, too far out over his skis. He probably bit off more than he could chew. He took on more than he could handle or that he was prepared for. But what he realized was by doing that, that those experiences were going to help to grow his identity. And his identity was going to grow into somebody that was ready and capable of handling those responsibilities like that, uh, or, or that task or that experience at the time. All right, I'm going to try and mute everybody now because it's sort of going to Okay, give me mean, the lot. Okay, I'll figure out how to mute it here in a second. I still don't 100% have this new system now. I just was trying to mute it. I just locked it. Uh, I remember early, early on in his career, he wasn't even a CEO yet. and The founder of the company, the company Hubert Humphrey, had one of these tours the company used to do so often. And You know, they do like a, a 12-city tour, and they would take like six guys that were super hot guys, and they would take him on this tour, and the six guys would all give a talk, and Hubert would give a talk. And Ed, before he was even a CEO, I don't, I don't even think he was making a half million dollars a year yet, got handpicked by Hubert uh, to do this. And it was sort of shocking because all the other guys were at least CEOs. I think most of them were EVCS. They were all half million dollars plus. Like, they were all, like, their teams, their incomes – their titles were all significantly higher than Ed's. And yet Ed got hand-chosen to be on this call, and I remember how that shaped his – on that tour, and I remember clearly how that shaped his identity. I remember how when he came off of that, like it was – part of it was the experience that he got a chance to be put in, but he also sort of – you know, there's that habit of creating your luck. He sort of positioned himself in a way to where – it made sense for him to be chosen, if you know what I mean. And then he delivered because he over prepared for that. But then the other way that it shaped his identity was that he, while he was on, while he was on that tour, was he got a chance to associate. Like we got to imagine, like a a twelve city tour. They're pretty much on the road for two weeks together, um, almost nonstop because you're going from city to city and you're in the same hotel rooms and you're having lunch at the same places and dinner and you're having all these conversations backstage while other guys are talking. And so I remember, like, and I look at, like, and I fast forward. And I, I could go through a bunch more examples, but I fast forward to today. Like, I realize it's been about 18 months ago that he decided to start a podcast. And when he decided to do that, like, his son, Max, who's, the same, who's my godson, he's the same age as Alex, he's seventeen. Max was, I think, 15 at the time, uh, would either videotape or record Ed's podcasts. Max was in charge of sort of, um, uh, you know, helping Ed to sort of put them together and any kind of graphics that would go with it, which were very, very uh, elementary at the time. Um, Like, literally, Ed would tweet out that he had a broadcast. He really wasn't on Instagram at the time. He would tweet out that he had a new podcast or broadcast. Ed like... I can remember getting texts from him. My wife, Like, everybody in the family would get texts from him. Hey, you need to like this. You need to retreat it. You need to get other people listening to it. Like, he was obsessed with trying to get people to listen to this stuff and for him to look sort of um, bigger than he was, if you will. And um, over time, over eight, like, in, we're 18 months later, but shoot, in about six or eight months' time, he went from max to – Having somebody sort of quasi-professional do things for him, and then he moved from that crew to a really professional crew that that does the video and the auditory and puts the words on the screen and all that sort of stuff. And then he went from interviewing like Chris and Marlo Felton, who are just guys in WFG, to you know Tony Robbins, right, and John Maxwell, and and all of these top top people, and so. But he put himself into that experience. And so what I want to talk to you about today is your identity and how it affects you building a big base shop. And so I've got a couple of questions for you, and I want to challenge you to play along. Because we've had these conversations before, and what's interesting is I've reached out to people just recently. What I've come to realize is even some of my best guys, even some of my top guys, even some of the guys that, Uh, have needed this the most and i've challenged them and i've encouraged them and i've had like one-on-one conversations with them about it and small group meetings they still hadn't done the work they still hadn't done the exercises so i want to challenge you to sit down get out a pen and paper hopefully you've already got a journal in front of you And i want to challenge you to not only take some notes but then to take some action on those notes and so they say that your identity is the strongest force in the human spirit. In other words, we're going to act, we're going to behave in a way that's consistent with our identity. And so what I want to talk a little bit about in the first part of this call is what are the what are the things really that are shaping our identity today? Now we all know that, you know, it was parents and teachers and people from church and coaches and colleagues and friends and all these people that sort of shaped our identity growing up. I get that. But What tends to happen is we tend to go through these periods of our life where we're super frustrated, we're borderline desperate, our back is against the wall, we're totally, like, engaged, we're laser-focused, like, everything's on the line, and we, like, we're all in. And at those times of intense focus and desperation and hunger and desire, we get clear as clear can be on the goal, and we move heaven and earth to get it done and oftentimes it's out of a state of necessity like i'm going to lose everything i'm going to lose the marriage i'm going to lose my health i'm going to lose the business i'm going to lose the bank account i'm going to i'm going to lose custody of the children i'm going to lo- whatever it is and we go all in and we do everything we can and then we go from a period of of of, of really surging to exploding, and then we go from a period of exploding to really plateauing where we're just sort of level off. And our life goes through seasons like that. And what we enjoy most is, uh, what we tell ourselves we enjoy most is not those periods where we're really clearer than clear, where we're all in, where we're super focused, where we're dialed in, where we're doing whatever it takes to make it happen. What we convince ourselves is that we really enjoy is the calm between the storms when everything's just sort of hunky-dory, when everything's just sort of go with the flow, when everything's just sort of routine and comfortable and there's a lot of certainty. But the fact of the matter is all of the growth, all of the excitement, all of the juice comes from those times of uncertainty. It comes from those times when we're being challenged like we've never been challenged before. It comes from those times where we put it all on the line. That, that's, that's, really where, that's really where the juice is in life. But there's, it, those times are filled with so much uncertainty that oftentimes we avoid those. And so, and what we tend to do then, and this is the really critical part I want you to get into as you're sort of journaling right now, what we tend to do is this, is we tend to hang on to stories that keep us in the plateau mode. Charlotte calls them softeners. We tend to We tend to hang on to stories that keep us comfortable and committed to the routine and so I want to ask you to jot down in your notes right now, what are some stories about your past that you're clinging to right now? Maybe, there's sto- maybe you have stories in the past about past successes or past achievements. You really achieved in sports in high school or in college, and you're clinging on to that uh, as if it's a part of your identity today, as if, as if it's, it's a reference point for you to pa- point back to and go, yeah, I'm successful because of what I did in high school or college athletically, or maybe you're clinging on to some business story, a previous career, and you're going, well, I know I'm successful because look at what I did in that company. Look at what I did at that period of time in my life in business. Look, look at how much money I earned. Look at how fast I moved up the ladder. Look at what I achieved there. Look at how I was recognized. Look at how valuable and needed I was within that company. Look at all these things that I, I did for this company, and we hang on to this past business success of a former career. Sometimes it's academics. Boy, look at look at everything that I had to go through to get my college degree. Or look at the sacrifices that I made and everything that I did to get my master's degree or my graduate degree or my PhD. And we hang on to this the sense of achievement and accomplishment of some past achievement or accomplishment, as, as, almost as if a way to – um, support our identity today. Well, I, 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 you know, of course I'm successful because look at what I achieved then. And it almost props up our identity today. It's almost like a set of stilts that's propping us up and propping up our identity today, right? Maybe it's some sort of financial success that you had in the past, whether it was paying off debts or making a bit, bunch of money at one period of time in your life or what you thought was a bunch of money or being able to do something financially for somebody else that You're clinging to the story, and in clinging to the story of the past and the the successes that you had, here's what it's really doing. I want you to be clear about this. I don't want you to invalidate those past successes. Those successes were real. But sometimes we cling on to them so tightly that we don't create enough space for a new story. We're clinging on to those so tightly because there's so much certainty filled With those past successes and so much there's such a sense of pride and achievement sometimes it's through our kids sometimes our kids are achieving and and our 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 story is about what a great parent we are because because of our great parenting our our child got a 3.5 or a 4.0 or a 4.3 or because of our parenting our child was a success in sports or because of our parenting, our children wound up to be this really well-grounded, like salt of the earth, righteous, good people, or because of our parenting, our, you know, our children achieved academically in college and married the right person, but sometimes we cling so tightly to these old stories that we don't allow ourselves the space and the room necessary to create a new story because the new story is filled with much more uncertainty than the previous, than the old stories. The old stories are done, and oftentimes our memory of the old story isn't even accurate. In other words, we've cleaned up this story so that it suits our purposes. Maybe you've got stories of the past that you're hanging on to about past failures or past mistakes, and somehow in you hanging on to those past the stories of past failures or mistakes or shortcomings, somehow they're handicapping you, in creating a new story. What do I mean by that? Well, you're afraid of putting yourself on. You're afraid of putting yourself out there. If you're on the call right now, would you please mute yourself? Because I lost the directions how to mute everybody. Some of you are just you've got background noise that. It's, it's just not fair to the rest of the callers. It's not a distraction to me, but I know some of the callers it will be. And so, be a good teammate to your colleagues today. So, what, maybe you got a bad, maybe you got a story in the past about money, whether it's um, you know you, you had a bankruptcy or um, you, you, had, you, you lost a house or a short sale or your savings plummeted because you had to dig into it for some sort of health crisis or some sort of financial crisis or to support a family member, or you had some business venture that looked promising and wound up costing you a lot of money. Maybe you've got some story that you're hanging on to about your path as it relates to your health and health challenges that you've had in the past and concerns about, you know, how they're affecting you today or could be affecting you today or might be affecting you tomorrow. Maybe you've got some story you're telling yourself about some failure or some mistakes that you made inside of your family as it relates to your parents or your spouse or your children. Maybe there's some mistakes that you've made in relationships over the years. Some failures or some shortcomings or they didn't turn out the way you planned or the way that you hoped for and you're, and you're sort of beating yourself up about that or you're hanging on to some some, some sense of maybe I'm not good enough maybe I'm not deserving maybe I'm not worthy maybe you've got some stories that you're hanging on to about WFG maybe there's some stories you're hanging on to about WFG as it relates to recruiting what do I mean by a story a story is the thing that we tell ourselves a story can be one sentence it can be a word it can be a paragraph it can be a whole narrative It could be a whole novel with lots and lots of details. But it could be a story as simple as, like, I'm just not a good recruiter. I've never been a good recruiter. Recruiting has always seemed odd to me. I've never had to recruit anywhere else I've ever been, so recruiting is new to me. I can't be expected to be good at recruiting. Maybe that's a story that you're clinging on to, and the minute you let go of it, you create a space that allows you to become a great recruiter. Maybe it's a story you're telling yourself about your production, right? Like that you're, it's too early for you to produce a lot or you don't know enough or you don't have all the licenses or you don't have enough product knowledge or you don't have the skills yet. Or, you know, there's other people that have been here longer that don't produce much, which creates a a cushion that makes it okay for you not to produce yet. Maybe there's a story you're telling yourself about rejection because of a family member or a friend or somebody in your warm market that, um, didn't call you back or said they were going to call you back and didn't or said they were going to be a guest and didn't and then didn't return your calls or that, you know, didn't follow through on something they said they were going to, a second appointment or a sale or or they joined the business and then they quit. And so maybe there's some story about a rejection or two or three that you're making into this larger than life story. This is what always happens to me when I try and talk to people in my warm market. This is what always happens to me when I try and sit down with people across the kitchen table. This is what always happens to me when I try and recruit people or when I try and have guests. Maybe there's some story you're telling yourself about preparedness, that I'm not ready, or you know I need to do this and then I'll be ready, or you know what I think in another month I'll be ready to invite guests or recruit or be out in the field, or maybe I'm not validated and that's the reason I'm not ready yet. Maybe there's some story you're telling yourself about your level of preparedness. Maybe there's some story you're telling yourself about your warm market, that your warm market is just too successful, just too sophisticated, uh, just too smart. They wouldn't have any interest in a business, quote-unquote, like this. They wouldn't have any interest in a, bu- in a business where people are making a quarter million dollars, a half million dollars, three-quarters million dollars, million dollars, two, three, four, five million dollars a year. They wouldn't have any bu- interest in a business like that. <laughs> you know, what's interesting. I was... I was at a basketball tournament last week and I was talking to a buddy of mine and I was, I'll be honest, I was bitching and moaning a little bit about my taxes and how much I had to pay last year in taxes and uh, what a scam I think it is and how horrific I think our government is at wasting our money and they want more and more and more and what a horrible job they do managing that money. And He's a guy who earns a big income, and some years he's earned more than me, some years he's earned less than me. And I said, well, what did you pay last year? He goes, I have no idea. I go, you don't, you don't have any idea the dollar amounts or the percentage? He goes, honestly, I don't. So while we're sitting there watching the, the ball game, he pulls up an email on his phone. He goes, here's what I paid. And, you know, he paid, he made less money than me last year, and he paid nearly twice as much in taxes as I did. I to Let me repeat this. He made less money than I did last year. He grossed less, and he paid nearly twice as much in taxes as I did, and I paid an enormous amount of taxes. And you know why? Because he's a W-2 employee, and I'm a 1099 independent contractor with an S corporation that I am an employee of. <clears throat> and so you got some people, well, oh, you know, I, I've got friends that are making $100,000 or $125,000 or 150 or $200,000 a year, but they're W two employee, and you think they'd have no interest, right? Um, maybe the stories that you're telling yourself. Listen to me carefully. Maybe the stories you're telling yourself about how hard this is, how hard it is to make money. Maybe the stories you're telling yourself about how hard it is to build a team, how hard it is to build a big base shop, how hard it is to get people to meetings, how hard it is to get people licensed, how hard it is to get people to to really be motivated. Um, maybe you're telling yourself a story about how long it takes, how much time it takes before people are successful here. How long? It, maybe you're telling yourself a story about how long it takes to get licensed or to be successful in the field or to be making three or five or ten or twenty thousand dollars a month. Maybe you're telling yourself a story about uh, how long it takes to go from part time to full time. It Took me seven weeks. Was that premature? Probably. Um, But I erred on the side of betting on myself, not on the side of uh, playing it safe. Worked out okay for me. Was it difficult at times? You bet your ass it was. Incredibly difficult at times. Was it worth it? Absolutely. So maybe you're telling yourself a story about how long it takes or how long it should take or what's a reasonable amount of time. Do me a favor. Do, do, no, do yourself a favor. Get clear on what those stories are for you that you keep telling yourself. There's a good chance that in all the examples I just went through of, of all the past successes you could have had and all the past uh, mistakes or misjudgments or failures you could have had, there's a good chance that two or three or four of those stories are your story. And you're hanging on so tightly to those stories. And and maybe because you're a positive person, you're hanging on to stories of success. And it's giving you a false sense of achievement. That's something you achieved. You're not achieving now. You achieved that in the past. What are you doing now? And, or maybe you're hanging on to some past stories of failure or shortcoming or where things didn't work out. And that happened in the past. It literally doesn't impact you now. It doesn't handicap you now. But if we continue to tell ourselves story, if we continue to say things to ourselves over and over, it limits our beliefs and it shapes our identity for today. And so what I want you to get clear on, first and foremost, is what is the two or three or four stories that I'm telling myself, even if they're good stories about successes in the past, that are literally blocking me from creating a new story. Here's what I want you to get clear on what are those stories that I need to stop telling myself about past successes or past failures, and what's the new story that I want to create to replace them? What's the new story that I want to create? What's what's the new story, the next chapter for you, these next this next month, these next three months, this next year, these next five years? What's the new story for you? What's the new story about recruiting? you can cling to this story of I'm not good at it. I've never had to do it before. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. Um, I'm just hoping that like somebody on my team does it for me. What's the Don't you want a new empowering story? Like, man, I'm one of the best recruiters in the company. I'm the best recruiter in my office. Man, recruiting is fun and easy. I love recruiting. I love sharing the opportunity with people. I love the difference they can make in their lives. I've seen the difference it's made in literally thousands of people's lives in our company. I love recruiting people. Because to me, recruiting people is helping people. It's giving them hope. It's giving them a sense of direction. It's giving them an opportunity. Could that be your new story? Or are you clinging so tightly to the old story that there's no room for that to be a possibility for you? Successful people are possibility thinkers. Are you thinking about what's possible for you in terms of becoming a great recruiter, both personally and a big base shop recruiter? Or are you clinging on to some story of the past that's not even really based on any substantive facts or evidence. What do I mean by that? Most people that tell themselves a negative story about recruiting, it's off of a very, 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 very small sample size. And they extrapolate it to me, and here's what's always going to happen to me in this area. It's like I'm teaching my daughter, Lexi, how to drive. <laughs> and I prov- God, I love her. And she is so gifted in so many areas. And her her gifts and talents have been so evident to me for – so long, so, so evident to everybody. At the same time, she's not gifted at everything. And there's literally been times where we get in my car and I'm sitting in the passenger seat and we're getting ready to go and going to take her a driving lesson. And she will literally say to me, Now, which one's the brake and which one's the gas again? I promise you, I'm not even exaggerating. Bless her heart. But there will come a time. Well, she will not. She will not only not ask that. She won't even have to think about that. It'll be unconscious competence. She will do it while she's putting on her mascara, drinking a latte, and snapchatting on her phone. She'll know, like, unconsciously be able to work the brakes in the gas pedal. I hope she doesn't do it that way, but you get my point. But she just hasn't had a large enough sample size to be completely comfortable driving a motor vehicle. Maybe you haven't had a large enough sample size in WFG in some areas, and yet you've created beliefs. And an identity is supported in a small sample size. What if my daughter created a belief in identity about like she's never going to be a good driver? That would probably be true. But she actually believes that she's going to be a great driver. She believes that. That's her identity. That's her expectations. She just knows that she's just learning. So she's not confusing learning with, with the destination point. Um, What's the new story that maybe you need to tell yourself about other people's opinions versus other people's needs? Golly, I, whether it's me or Mark or Dan or Nikki or countless other leaders have gone through presentation after presentation after presentation, conference call after conference call, um, 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 posting article after article after article, right? Uh, the, like on social media, you see post after post after post about the needs of the middle class your friends and family, the needs for life insurance, for short-term savings, for debt strategies, for retirement savings, for tax, like the needs are so tremendous. Are you focused more on other people's opinions, their initial opinions, their first impressions? Are you focused more on their needs? Right? My father-in-law was taken to the emergency room earlier this week. He's, He's fine now. He's fine now. He had to have a uh, surgery, and uh, he's good now, and he's releasing his at home. I saw him last night. But he was taken to the emergency room this week. So when he first, he was taken to Pomona Valley, which would not be my choice for an emergency room, he gets there, and literally there's, there's like well over 100 people in the lobby, and there's a line literally outside the door just to check in and say, here's my name, here's what's going on. And he's got some real issues with his heart going on. And you've got a whole bunch of people in line, but they've got a runny nose or they've got basic cold symptoms. And instead of going to urgent care, they're going to the emergency room because maybe they don't have any kind of insurance or maybe they don't have any kind of money and they know they're not going to be denied at an emergency room. They can't be. So like his first impression of the hospital was horrible. His first impression of the care going on was horrible. He gets seated, and his, my mother-in-law goes over to somebody and goes, Hey, a lot of these people are just here because they got runny noses. Like, here's his symptoms. Like, shouldn't he be stepped up in the line? And so he goes, I don't know. Let me go talk to somebody. So he goes and talks to somebody. Uh, we can hear you right now. You're the Next guy that just spoke. We, we hear you right now. Please mute yourself. Um, and so the person my mother-in-law talks to pops out of a door with another like medical type person, looks at my father-in-law and the medical type person goes, no, he'll be fine. And so he's brought, <laughs> so he's waiting more. So his first impressions were revalidated multiple times while he's in that, while he's waiting in the lobby with all these other patients. And then, he, and, and then he said once he was brought back to a room, he said the care, the attentiveness, the service, the, the professionalism of all the medical providers there, he said was second to none. But there was a huge contrast between the first impression, which was revalidated several times over, and the actual experience. Are you, is your story about other people's first impressions or their initial opinions, is that, is that a bigger story for you or, how, or what their actual needs are behind that mask of uncertainty? See, because behind the frustration of my father-in-law's poor, poor quality of service initially, he had real needs that needed to be addressed. And once you got in front of somebody that recognized it, they were able to do something about it. What about you? Are you so, is your story about other people's opinions and what they might think of you and what they might say about you and how they might question you? Is that so strong that you are not focused really on their needs and serving their needs? Maybe there's a story that needs to be written this morning. Maybe it's a one sentence story. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a paragraph. Maybe it's a couple of paragraphs of journaling that you need to sort of work through what's going on in your brain. Where you need to Every time I get ready to call somebody or follow up with somebody or text somebody or approach somebody that I know or even a cold prospect, and I hear that inner voice of doubt starting to go, well, what if they think this? What if they say that? I squash it and I immediately go, they need my help. I know they need my help. Statistics, the overwhelming odds are that they need my help and I'm going to do everything I can to get them the help that they need. And all of a sudden, you just switch to that story. What about your story that you're telling yourself about how hard the work is here versus how fun the work is here? Are you telling yourself a story about the grind and the calls and the prospecting and the field training in the evenings and all the hours and all the sacrifice? Do you have some massive story you're telling yourself about that that needs to be replaced with a story about, what a joy, what an opportunity, what a privilege it is to serve others. And the more time that I spend in the field in the evenings, the greater my opportunity to serve others. Like when my father-in-law went to the hospital, he went to the hospital Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Um, you know what? Man? Actually, I think he went Monday night. And another friend of mine's husband went Tuesday night. Both of them went to the hospital at 10 o'clock. Guess what? There were doctors there at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday night and Tuesday night, doctors that were away from their families, away from their spouses. And you know why they were away from their family and spouses? Because they were there to serve the needs of others. Their focus wasn't on what they were missing out on at home. Their focus was on... How can I serve? How can I contribute? How can I make a, a significant difference in people's lives? They chose the profession of medicine to do that. I chose the profession of financial services. Have you made that choice? Have you made a choice that, like, yeah, it's a sacrifice. I'm sure the doctors would have been rather been at home watching Game of Thrones with their spouse on the sofa. But there's a time and a place for spending quality time with our spouses and our kids and our families and there's a time and a place for us to serve the greater good, for us to make a difference in our community, for us to make a difference in the lives of others. Sometimes there's an inconvenient contrast in that. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, it, it, we look for this ideal set of balance or this perfect world where we get to spend all the time we want with our friends and family. Uh, we get to spend all the time we want at home. We get to eat whatever we want. We get to do whatever we want with no consequences, no no, no, no judgment of our sins, right? We get to spend however we want and buy everything that we want. Like we, we, we live in this fantasy world. Like that's what we think that we want. And I think those of you that have been in a position where you've gotten a chance to serve and to make a difference in other people's lives and contribute and to lead and to coach and to mentor and to help you know how great that makes you feel. And it's even better than watching Game of Thrones with your spouse on the sofa. It's even better than, you know, hanging out, watching TV while your kids are in the other room doing homework. Like there's something to be said for that. So what's the story you're telling yourself about how hard the work is versus what I get a chance to do here with my life and the difference I get a chance to make. Is there a story you tell yourself about trying to convince people Versus trying to help people, trying to service, trying to provide a service. Do you feel like you're always trying to convince people, and and, and that and, and that's the story you're saying? Oh, it's so hard to convince people, and or you telling yourself a story about God? I just want to help as many as I can. I got to get better at my craft, so I'm better at helping people. Like there's a difference between sitting out. I, I've said this before. To I've got a couple of friends that are dealing with this right now, where they've got some sort of medical condition. One is pretty significant, one is less significant, but I was even sharing this with the person, with the individual who's got the less significant, in other words, it's not a life-threatening condition, but it's annoying as hell. And I share with them the most frustrating part is when you just don't know what the cause is, and nobody can tell you what the cause is, and you go to each new doctor, each new care provider, with the hope that this doctor's going to have the answers. And the fact of the matter is you, you won't know until you've visited that doctor multiple times, so you've spent a bunch of money with them, so you've taken a bunch more tests, so you've tried their remedies, whether or not they know what the hell they're talking about. And so it's frustrating not knowing. And when you find a doctor that can really diagnose it, puts together a plan, says 100% this is what it is, can show you with the lab work, and you begin to follow their treatment plan, you begin to see results, that's when, you know, no matter how bad the condition is, you've got a sense of hope, right? Are you focused on convincing people or or, or getting to be the best that you can so that you can provide people that sense of hope and sense of direction and a real plan to cut through their frustration? They need convincing because they've tried a lot of things, they've looked at a lot of things, they've heard about a lot of things that hasn't produced for them yet. The one thing I, I, I shared with my friend just the other day was like, hey, you've got to keep seeking out medical professionals till you find the right one with the right answers. Don't give up. I know it's frustrating. Don't give up. It'll be worth it when you find the right one. It'll be worth it when they find you, but you look like every other idea that has been there to increase their income, to Get, to give them a better career opportunity, to help them get out of debt, to help them save money. You look like every one of those charlatans that was just trying to get into their pocket and take advantage of them, but you're different. You've got to make sure you've got a story that's focused on you serving people, not trying to convince people. What's your sh- story that you tell yourself about urgency and how much time you have left and how, how long it's going to take for you to be successful here? Monty Holm told me something once that I've shared many times over the years because I think it's so true of so many things in life. I, I was sitting down with um, a friend of Alex's, this young man that I've gotten a chance to mentor over the years. And he said, his parents went through the worst divorce I've ever seen anybody go through. Um, he actually, he and his sister are spending the weekend with us this weekend, and they spent the night with us every night for six or eight weeks over the summer. And it's just the divorce was... Really, really hard on both individual spouses. That was unbelievably hard on the children. And uh, this past summer, this young man's uh, mother took her own life. And so now he's dealing with not only all the trauma of this, like you can't believe how nasty this divorce was, but he's dealing with the trauma of losing losing his mom. She took her own life. And like, what does that mean to him, right? And he's made some bad choices along the way. Um, but what I've suggested to his coaches, his teachers, his principal, and even his father is that I don't know that his behavior is bad behavior considering everything he's been through. I think it's probably normal behavior. It may even be, um, above average behavior considering everything he's been through. Now you look at uh, if my son was behaving the same way that he's behaving, I would say that's bad behavior, but my son doesn't have the conditions around him that, that this young man does. So um, I was able to help him get on the basketball team this year at Alex's high school because he had been kicked off the basketball team for some of his bad choices. And I was able to convince the principal and the coach to let him back on. He didn't play, but he was able to be on the team, practice with the team, and sit on the bench. And when his father got the call from the principal, his father didn't even know I talked to the principal or the coach, He was like, he sort of felt like it was bittersweet. He thought, okay, how am I going to break this to my son that they're willing to let him back on the team, but he's not going to be able to play. He's just going to have to sit on the bench. And when he shared it with his son, his son was overjoyed, and it shocked him. And I'll tell you the reason he was overjoyed is because he had a sense of belonging. He he felt like he belonged on the team, like there was a sense of belonging, like he was a part of something bigger than himself. And even though he wasn't going to get a chance to play one minute in any game the rest of the season, the, guy, the chance that he got to be a part of that team and practice with the team and sit on the bench meant so much to him. His father couldn't believe it. And so recently, I got him a tryout on Alex's travel ball team, and he's playing the best basketball I've ever seen him play. He's been—he's an unbelievably athletic kid, six four, can jump out of the gym, but because of this messy divorce, he hasn't really played travel ball for the past three or four years. And so his his skills, his court awareness, his basketball IQ has dwindled as a result. And other kids who are not as gifted athletically have have lapped him just because of all the extra reps that they put in. And so the boys were playing four games over the weekend. And between games, they had a short rest. And I was talking to him a little bit about his game. He's just been playing the best basketball I've ever seen him play. He's been playing terrific. But the fact of the matter is, is he's in horrible shape. And part of the reason he's in horrible shape is because some of the choices he, he's made related to like vaping and stuff like that. He just doesn't have the lung capacity. So he's got the athleticism, the skills are picking up, the basketball IQ is picking up, but the conditioning is horrible. And I, and I was just sharing with him, and he and I are close, and I said, hey, you know what? You've got an opportunity next year to start as a senior on your high school basketball team and to, and to not just sit on the bench but you got a chance to start and play a huge role on this team this year. I said, but the fact of the matter is, if you're going to play a huge role on this team this year, you're going to have to be able to play a lot of minutes. And right now you can't play a lot of minutes because of your conditioning and because some of the choices that you've made. I said, um, you can be a role player and come off the bench and give a couple quality minutes here and there. That will be easy for you to do but if you wanna be a significant contributor to this team that should really play a big role, you're gonna to have to be in way better shape. And here's the advice that I shared with him that I wanna share with you now. You've got more than enough time to get in excellent shape and excellent conditioning and take all the minutes that the coach can give you next year. But you don't have a day to waste, not one day. I said you've gotta start making better choices Today, you've got to start conditioning tomorrow. You've got to start running. You've got to start building up your lung capacity and your cardiovascular. Because for you to reach the goal that you really want to reach, you've got more than enough time to get there, but you don't have any time to waste. Some of you are running your WFG businesses like you've got all the time in the world to get there. And the reality of it is, that you, you don't. Here's what I've seen all too happen all too many times: is the window of you getting a chance to play here shuts without any warning. Your spouse, who's been supportive, just runs out of support. Just like, look, you've been doing this how long? You haven't made any money. You don't have a team. Like, no. You're like, well, wait. And all of a sudden, you all of a sudden you feel this sense of urgency to go do something right away. Like your back's against the wall. Uh, the door has been closed. They they gave you no warning. It was about to close. They didn't go, well, 90 days or six months or a year. They gave you no warning. It's just like, hey, I've been patient. I've supported you. Enough's enough. You gave it your best shot. And and then you look back and go, no, I never gave it my best shot. I never even really gave it a shot. I was waiting. I was preparing. Um, I was ready, set, aim, ready, set, aim, ready, set, aim, ready, set, aim. I never fired. Right? And so – What's the story you're telling yourself about how much time you have to build a big base shop? What's the story you're telling yourself about how much time you have to get a guest down to the meeting, to get a, to, to get a, a new recruit, to get appointments set, to be making money, to be building a team? What's the story you're telling yourself about how much time you've got to do all those things? And what I can tell you is um, every single one of you, minus about three, probably need to write a new story about how much, uh, how much of a hurry and how much urgency you need to have. How much faster you need to be doing things even if you're not 100% prepared? And lastly, what's the story you have about your, the resources that you need to be successful? Are you telling yourself that you've got all the resources you need between your local office, your local leadership, the validated field trainers around you, the, the people that are going to be greeting your guests and doing the mozo, and the people that you've got to help you with hiring interviews and one-on-ones and fast starts, the people that you've got to help field train your people for you and with you? Are you telling yourself the right story about those things? Or are you telling yourself, "Well, I'm not ready yet to do the BPM or to do a one-on-one or a fast turner field trade on my own"? Because you've got all the resources available to you. The question is: Is are you using them? So, I I, I hope that you spend some time today this weekend really getting clear on the story. And you're not going to get clear in your head. It's a huge mistake. A lot of people just sort of think through these things and then it just like. It's a, it's like a thought that just is gone like like the wind. I want you to journal about these and get clear. What are some, what are some of these stories that are holding me back? Good ones or bad ones? What are some of the specific new stories I need to create? And every time I have that doubt, every time I have that self-assurance because of something I achieved in the past, every time that I'm tempted to tell somebody about what I did before I came to WFG, what I did to be successful, about about the achievement at work, about the relationship, about the raising of the kids, about the academic achievement. Every time I'm about to tell that story, I go, wait a minute. Old story, done with that one. Let me tell the new story. Here's what I'm about to do. Here's what I'm doing right now. Here's what I'm doing right now, and here's where I think it's going to get me in this time. That's the new story that you begin telling yourself. And you've got to interrupt that pattern, telling yourself the old story, and you tell yourself the new story. Let me share. I'm only going to get through half of my content. I apologize. Sincerely. Last, last, last idea I want to share with you as it relates to your identity. Are you the thermostat or are you the thermometer? Are you the thermostat or the thermometer? What's the difference? Thermostat sets the temperature, sets the energy, sets the pace, sets the identity, sets the vision, sets the activity level. A thermometer gauges where it's at and set and and finds an equilibrium with the environment. I'll give you an example. Um, for me and Michelle, our family, from an income standpoint, I'm a thermostat. I'm the one who sets the sets the pace, sets the income. I'm the one who's focused. Now, Michelle rides with wherever we're at. She rides with wherever we're at. She always, she, she'll she she hope for more. She wants more. But I'm the one who sets the pace in our family financially. What about you? Are you a WFG agent whose spouse sets the thermostat financially? Oh, uh, well, we're doing good because my spouse does good. But collectively, here's what you're doing together. Take your spouse's income and divide it by two. Here's what we're doing. Here's our family identity as far as income. Or... Are you the thermometer there that you just sort of accept where you guys are at? Or are you the thermostat taking your family's income or net worth to the next level? I was was sitting down with an agent and a client yesterday, and she was talking about, like, her husband's a spender and how hard she worked to get her family out of debt that he mainly created and how obsessed she was with doing everything necessary to get them out of debt that she did successfully years ago got them completely out of debt, but she was the thermostat at getting them out of debt. She's the thermostat when it comes to them saving money and investing money. He's the thermostat sort of when it comes to income because he produces most of the income based on his trade, but she's really the thermostat as far as Uh, setting his expectations as far as what his time is worth, what he should be billing, how quickly they should be billing, the kinds of jobs that he should be taking. So even though he's the one doing the work, she's really the one who sets the pace. She's really the thermometer in the family, all things income and all things finance. What about you? What about at WFG? Are you the thermostat in the when When you walk into the room... And I'm not just talking about your energy level. I'm talking about your numbers. Are you the one bringing the guests? Are you the one building the team? Are you the one out in the field? Are you the one setting the pace as far as activity? Are you the rabbit? Are you the one that's consistently getting the results that everybody else is talking about and chasing? Or are you the thermometer? It's like, well, you know, I'm only part-time and I'm doing about what all the other part-timers are doing or I'm doing a little bit better than... Most of the part-timers are, you know, I'm just a little bit behind most of the part-timers, but I've got a good reason for being behind, and I'm not that far behind. Or as a full-timer, are you just sort of keeping pace with the other full-timers in your office when it comes to how many calls you're making or what your expectations are as far as units of activity, what your expectations are as far as number of one-on-ones or or guests that you're setting or appointments that you're setting, number of... (laughs) kitchen table presentations you're doing every single night are you the one setting the pace are you just sort of blending in with all the other full time well i'm not doing that bad i'm not doing that great either but i'm not doing that bad that's a thermostat level of identity that's a thermostat type of perspective i'm not doing that bad i'm not doing that great but i'm not doing that bad either that's a softener. that's a story you need to shift what about the people that you're spending time with in wfg Are you spending time with the majority of your time in WFG with other thermostats or thermometers, rather? Thermometers. Are you spending time mainly with other thermometers in WFG? People that are just sort of go with the flow, just sort of maintaining the temperature of what's going on around them? Or do you spend more and more time on the phone and in person with thermostats, people whose temperature runs higher than you? You're a 72 degree -er. in life, you're 72 degree when it comes to income and your relationships and your health and your activity. But you beca- you begin to reach out and spend more time on the phone or in association with 85 degreeers. You're a full timer making 20 or 30 grand a year, and you started to do. Um, you started to work very hard at creating more relationships with more hundred thousand dollar earners, not to be their friends, to learn the way they think and do things. Whether it's on the phone, via text, in person, you're reaching out to more and more hundred thousand dollar earners because it because it makes you uncomfortable to be making twenty or thirty or forty and constantly talking to them about what they're doing in their businesses at a hundred because they're just as frustrated as you are. But their team's bigger they're running more appointments they've got more guests and it begins to shift your identity it begins to move you up from 72 to 78 from 78 to 83 right and then you begin looking for okay um i'm getting too close to these 85 degrees i need to find some 100 degrees some some guys and gals are making 200 a year or 250. are you using those associations you got to change the stories to shift your identity You've got to change your associations to shift your identity. What about at home? Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? You look at the people that you spend personal time with. Do you just sort of blend in with the crowd, or are you just sort of one of them? Well, I know I, I think differently because I'm part of WFG. I've got a business owner mindset. I've got this personal improvement. Okay, great. But when we look at you socially outside of WFG, your personal life, right, if you have one, uh, the people that you spend time with outside of WFG, you make about the, like. does your family make about the same amount of money as them, or do you make significantly more, or a little bit less? You personally, do you make significantly more than the people you hang around socially, or do you make about the same or less? What about the amount of money you've got saved? What about where you live, the kind of car you... The chances are you're hanging around people that are running at about your temperature, both in WFG and out of WFG. And so what I want to challenge you to do, if you're really sincere about shifting your identity, you've got to get clear on the stories that are blocking you from creating the new chapter, the new story. You've got to to aggressively develop new associations, even though it's going to be uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if my numbers are good enough. I don't know if they'll be willing to talk to me or spend time with me. I don't want to waste their time. Stop telling yourself all that crap and just do it. Reach out and make it consistent. Get after it. You know you need this. By the way, most of these people are going to be willing to help you because why? They want to pay it forward. Others have helped them. Others are still helping them. The only thing that's holding you back is your stories about your unworthiness or their busyness or other things or you don't know them well enough. You've got to get past that and create these associations. The other thing that's going to help you shift your identity is you getting results. We've talked about like, it's like I had a, a meeting with, we're going to go just a couple minutes long. I had a meeting with our SMDs this week and I walked in late to the meeting because I was hoping another one of our SMDs recruit somebody, a stud. And I walked in late to the meeting and I'm like, okay, what I miss? What we covered. And they went through everything that we covered that they had covered already. And then they're getting into a bunch of other stuff and I, and somebody asked for my opinion. I said, um, can I give you my feedback? And they said, yeah. I said, no. Like, Can I can I really be honest with you? Can I give you my honest feedback? They're like, yeah. I go, are you guys sure that you want it? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want it. We want it. We want it. I'm like, okay. I go, um, you guys are majoring in minors. And every time I walk into these SMB meetings, you're majoring in minors. You're talking about a bunch of BS that doesn't matter. You're ignoring the elephant in the room. You know what the elephant in the room is? Your recruiting numbers suck. Your team's too small. And if you don't do something about it, the guys that you have are going to leave you. They're not going to get better in this environment. They're going to leave you. And then your team's going to be smaller. Like, you've got to get your personal guest count, your personal recruiting numbers. And and, and, and rather than getting distracted and bringing up all these other things that need to be fixed or worked on, like, the more things that you focus your time on is just distractions from the main thing. We're in a business that's our business is a non-traditional model. It's driven by recruiting. You got to get your recruiting numbers up. And I would take everything off of my plate and out of my head and stop working like, there's this great charity event that they want to support and participate in. we spent more time in SMD meetings to talk about this charity event than we have about their base shop recruiting numbers or their personal recruiting numbers or their guest counts because they don't want to talk about that stuff. It's easier to talk about helping the charity and feeling good about ourselves, but at the end of the day, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get your teammates anywhere. Now I'm saying that you shouldn't do charitable stuff. Of course you should, but you've got to take care of business first, and until you've proven you can take care of business – and do the charitable work, you should probably take care of business. Because the charity's not going to be there to pay your bills when your team's dissolving in front of your eyes. Okay? So you've got to get some results. And so what I would challenge you to do is get as many distractions off your plate today, tomorrow, next week as possible. Stop, stop at the little league, the bowling league, coaching basketball, going to. You're going to this, go to all these little things that you go to and spending time talking about all these, like stop, put all your time and energy into recruiting and building for a period of time until you get momentum and you can start running it. Then start adding the other things back. I'll give you, a, uh, I'll give you a, one quick example and then we'll sort of wrap it up. I will give you two. So, um, One is, as you know, that one of my my big three goals for the year is health and fitness. So,
1: started like around
0: November, hitting the gym. By the end of January, I figured out, okay, I'm not getting the results that I wanted. So, I hired a personal trainer of mine that I used to work with, because and immediately I found out, okay, the accountability and the intensity of the workouts has shifted. The workouts are far more intense than they were before. I was working out hard before, but I was doing the lifts I liked. He's got me doing a bunch of stuff I don't like. The workouts are far more intense. Uh, and I'm and I'm accountable to somebody else for each workout and for how many times I'm working out per week. And so I had to make that shift. Then a couple of weeks ago, I go, God, I'm still not getting – even though I'm now better than I was when I started, I'm still not getting there fast enough. What's the next adjustments I need to make? Next adjustments I need to make is the nutrition. So I'm going to make the nutrition adjustments. And I started looking at all these meal services that are available now, both locally and nationally. There's 400 meal services, anywhere from five to nine bucks a meal that you can get. You can get dinners. You can get lunch and dinners. You can get breakfast, lunch and dinners. You can do it five days a week. You can do it seven. You can do it three. And I'm talking to Michelle about that. And she goes, you know, I've been thinking about that too. And she's like, what if we just do our own meal service? I go, you know, that thought was sort of in my mind too. So literally – I had the conversation next thing I know she's got like a whole bunch of these meal prep containers delivered to the house from Amazon that are whatever, BPA free or whatever they call it. You can micro it. And literally like I leave to go run there and I come back an hour later and she's got like 25 meals made for the week. She's got ground turkey, ground chicken. She's got grilled chicken breasts. She's got broccoli and green beans and zucchini She's got um, brown rice, and she's got sweet potatoes, and she's got all, stu- all these vegetables and stuff that she roasted, all the meats that she made, and she's got them all packaged up. I come home, literally, they're all in the fridge. I said, let me clean up the mess. <laughs> you did all that work. And so now all of a sudden I'm taking my game to the next level. Why? Because I set the goal in November. Uh, 60 days later, I'm aware of what I'm getting what I'm not getting. I'm making progress, but I'm not, in the, I'm not, I'm not really surging yet. So I hire the personal trainer in January. At the end of January, I start surging in February and March. At the end of March, I go, wait, I'm still not, not exploiting. I'm still not getting enough. What's the next week? Next week is nutrition. Boom. My diet's been super clean this week because I made that next adjustment. I'm paying attention. I'm changing the air. It's not like I've got to do – I've got to take more distractions away from me and make things easier for me to achieve. For me, making taking the distractions off is like let me remove what where I'm going for lunch. Let me remove what Michelle's making for dinner. Let me remove what my snack is. It's autopilot now, baby. And so I'm taking it to the next level. Let me share with you one more thing. One of my big three goals is related to my base shop for this year. Base shop's have been making progress. Base shop attendance is growing. I'm not I'm not at personally at 30 showing up to meetings yet. We've been around 15, 16 consistently, and I've been working hard and working. I'm like I need to do more. So I call Charlier this week and I have a conversation with Charlie. I go, here's the deal. Here's where my base is at. Here's where I want it to be. Here's why I want it to be here. I need more help. I need help. I need leadership. I need direction. I need accountability. He's like, you already know this shit. I go, I know I know this shit. I said, but I need, just like I know the shit to do in the gym. I need leadership. I need direction. I need accountability. Will you do that for me? He's like, of course I'll do it for you. He's like, um, he goes, what specifically do you want me to do? I go, that's like the student telling the teacher what the student needs. You already know, bro, right? You ran a big bass shop for 20 years. You know. I said, don't treat me like I'm a CEO, right? Treat me like I'm an SMB who's got 15 guys showing up to meetings. And here's where I want to get to. He's like, well, why do you want to do it now? He's like, it's just hard when you've had success and you're comfortable. I go, here's why. And he kept pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. We talked for like an hour. He's like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, you want to meet, like, once a, uh, once, a once a month? I'm like, no. Once a month isn't going to help. Like, weekly, if you can afford the time. Maybe more than weekly. And since then, we've been in communication every single day. And so, I know, I know it's not going to be comfortable at times having the conversation. It's going to change our relationship for a period of time. I know there's going to be conversations that aren't going to be comfortable. I know he's going to push me to do things I don't feel like doing, just like my trainer does physically. But I'm more committed to achieving this goal and building the base shop to something just nasty big, right, than I am committed to being comfortable and relying on past successes of what my base shop used to do. I'm tired of telling the, the stories of what my base shop used to do, of how I built my hierarchy. I want to, tell, talk, I want to create a new story of about how I rebuilt the base shop and the, and the new hierarchy that I built after I already had a hierarchy. That's the story that I want to create. And to do that, I've got to let go of some old stories. I've got to change my associations. I've got to change the way I'm being coached and mentored and held accountable. I've got to stay focused on the goal, but make adjustments, track what I'm doing physically in my health, track what I'm doing in what I'm eating, track what I'm doing in my base shop. I've got to track those things. I've got to notice what I'm getting. I've got to measure it. I've got to be accountable. I've got to ask for more direction. I've got to continue to be obsessed with what are the tweaks I need to make and keep moving forward towards the goal, not stopping and rethinking things. I've got to keep moving towards the goal and making the adjustments and increasing the heat, increasing the accountability, increasing the associations. Until when? Until I get there, baby. Until I get there. It's not a matter of if I'm going to get there, it's a matter of when. But you watch. I'm going to have the biggest base shop of anybody on this call. That's including Nikki, Mark, Rachel, Holt, Smith, Crump, like all y'all. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to have the biggest base shop of all y'all, and I'm not going to stop until I do. And I'm not going to spend three years getting there either, okay? It's not going to – it's going to – right? There's going to be times where it's not fun, but I'm going to make it fun, and I'm going to get the work done. So your identity matters. The stories you're telling yourself matters. Your associations matter. You also got to, like, probably take some distractions that you know are distractions, but you love them off of your plate because you're not ready for them yet. And you need to start creating more small wins, more small victories in a hurry that are congruent with what it is you want to achieve big picture. I hope that helps a little I'm confident it helped a couple of you because I've already gotten a number of texts unsolicited. Some of you, it probably won't help because it's just like you just listen to a podcast or something like that, and you're going to turn this off and just go back to the same old stories, same old routines, same associations, hoping things will change. Some of you will take the time to journal. Some of you will take the time to reach out and get more leadership, more accountability, more direction. Some of you you will take some of the distractions off your – table. Some of you will delegate some of those distractions. Some of you will take the time to get aware of your old stories. Some of you will take the time to create the new stories. Some of you will decide to surround yourself with more thermostats. Some of you will become conscious about I'm tired of being a thermometer. It's time for me to be a thermostat in life. I encourage you to get focused on the next chapter of your life and the next story because no matter how good the ones in the past were, no matter how bad they were, the next story and the next chapter deserve to be the very best you've ever written because you're the best, you're the most prepared that you've ever been to write that next one. And you're the author. You've got the pen in your hand. Create that story and enjoy the process of creating. All right, you guys, go crush it. I know I'm going to. Appreciate you guys. Love you more than words can describe. Going to see you next Saturday. Peace. Out.